So, I don't know if you're like this, but I certainly am. Uh, watch a TV show or a commercial on TV, and, and like sometimes I like really run with the content of that and start wondering what's going on in the mind of the person. I knowing that there's an actor, right? That they're an actor, but just thinking, well, if that was a real person, what would they be thinking? What would they be doing? And what would be happening? It's either that, or I'm like totally objecting to everything that happens in a movie or in an ad or a TV show. That's not possible. They can't do that. Drive cat crazy. Yeah, <laughs> in all sorts of ways, not just in that way. Nonetheless, ooh, I'm sorry. Good job. Save your mom. All right. <laughs> so there's this ad, and I quite, I actually kind of like it, but uh, it's for a, it's for an automotive sales place that if you if you buy an, if you buy a car from them, like they gave you give you like seven days to try it out and you can return it if you don't like it, right? Have you seen that ad? And so this guy is shopping for a car, and he, like, sees this shiny Corvette Roadster. And he's like, yeah, look at that. And so next thing you know, he drives in his driveway, and there's this pregnant wife <laughs> who meets him with, like, this look of, what are you thinking? Are you kidding me? I'm pregnant, and you come home with a Roadster? Right, Scott? You did that, right? <laughs> So, like, I'm thinking about this guy, and he must be really super confused about his life. He must be confused about what he's waiting for, and he must be confused about what he's hoping for, right? Like, (laughs) seriously, totally confused. He doesn't know how he should act. It must be his first kid, obviously. Like, can I, get a, can, I, can I get a car seat and do a convertible roadster? Do I want the kid? Do I, what am I going to do with the kid when I get the kid? Like, I mean, I can understand that, you know? The first time, when no, the first kid that we had, I was definitely confused about what I was hoping for. Um, <laughs> right, absolutely. Love you, Noah. Now I, now, now I totally know what I'm hoping for. So, <laughs> what we hope, what my point is this. I am. What we, what, we're confused in what we're hoping for as a church, I think. I'm not sure that across the board, when you look at the church, particularly in this country, we understand what it is that we're, we're hoping for. Because our, our hope informs what we do, right? Like that guy was not apparently hoping correctly. He was confused in his hope and bought a Corvette convertible instead of a minivan. And I think the church today is confused about our hope. We don't know what our hope is, so we don't know how to live while we're waiting in hope. We're in the, we're going to return to this in a minute, don't worry. We're in the, we're in the season of Advent. As a matter of fact, we get to jump at one day early uh, because we worship on Saturday nights. So this is the first Saturday in Advent. And how many of you come from a liturgical tradition at all or have any familiarity or have even heard the word Advent? All right, cool. Cool. I know that we, so actually here at Gather, we kind of more or less uh, observe the seven seasons of the church year. Does anybody, can you name off any others besides Advent? Lent, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, man, you guys are nailing it here, all right? We're doing pretty good. So it's Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and Pentecost. So does anybody know what the longest one of those is? Pentecost. Pentecost. Yep, goes on forever and ever and ever. All right. (laughs) 
that's where, that's where pastors that don't want to follow the church here can insert a sermon series on whatever they want to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Advent, you know what it means. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, kind of. Um, the coming, yeah. Coming, arriving, appearing, dawning, rising, approaching. It's like the advent of the nuclear age. Or that's not a good example, probably, but nonetheless. <laughs> advent just means, it means coming. And, and, and believe it or not, it's, it's, it's kind of an important season. And as good Christians always do, we have a tendency to really jump the gun on what things are all about. And we kind of rush into a Christmas spirit a little bit too soon when maybe we should focus a little bit more on the history of Advent. It's, it's sometimes in our culture difficult to keep in mind in the midst of all of our holiday celebrations and shopping and lights and decoration and joyful carols that the season of Advent is actually intended to be a season of deep reflection and of even fasting and even mourning, much like Lent, actually. Things that you would normally associate with, with, with Lent are oftentimes things that should be focused on during, during Advent. One common practice of Lent is to reflect on the violence and evil in the world that then causes us, if we're to stop and think about it, I don't mean to be a downer, but it's reality, that causes us then, when we reflect on it, to cry out to God, to cry out for Him to, to come, to Advent, <laughs> to come and make things right. We can bury our heads in the sand for so long, but at some point we have to stop and we have to look at what goes on around us and recognize just how great the need is. Because we can pretend for an awful long time, we can put blinders on to the world around us, we can put blinders on to the things in our own lives that hurt, that we need hope for, that we need healing for, for so long, but sooner or later they're going to show up and we're going to have to deal with them. Both on, on a personal level and on a world level as well. So, here we are. Advent week one. <laughs> what, what do you guys remember? Many of you, any of you? What week one is usually celebrating? Hope. Hope. Is Ethan here? He go next door. Ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> Mikey, come on up. So we have the tradition of lighting a candle. Again. again, you did it already last year. Go sit back down. Go, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It wasn't my fault. So you can light the first candle. And there will be tests following the weeks to come. So you, 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 can, yeah, you can go ahead. <laughs> what is it with the Stanfield kids? They're always like, Thank you. <laughs> all right. I know, right? I'm horrible. So <laughs> this, this may, maybe in light of what I just said, about reflecting on difficult things in our world. Maybe that sounds weird to talk about hope. But the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is so big. 
that it addresses the problems in our world that seem too big. That seem like, oh, how can we talk about hope and how horrible it is that people die of starvation every day? Or people are bombed to death. Or people are beheaded. Sorry, children. How can we talk about hope? Well, because the hope that we have in Jesus is so big that it confronts even those things. When we stop and just pay attention to what happens in the world around us, we are reminded that we are exiles of sorts in a land where everything is not as it should be. Our exile in the present makes us then look forward to our future deliverance. And importantly, this is one of those places where people have their hope all mixed up and confused about what we hope for as Christians. But this is not a deliverance from the earth, but a deliverance from the earth as we know it. When we stop and really reflect on the brokenness in our, of our world, we find ourselves, as Christians, we should find ourselves at least, waiting and hoping Advent and hope, then, are closely related, and so then, too, are Advent and waiting. Hope and waiting are very closely related. Because we don't see things when we look around the world. We don't see things the way we want them. I know I don't, right? I don't see them in my own household. I don't see them in my own lives. I don't see them in my own heart. I don't see things the way I want it to be. So I wait. We wait for things to be put under Jesus' feet, for all things to be made right, for God to put his world to rights. Hope, then, is something something that addresses this current longing that we have. The thing we yearn for is our hope, but the thing we do not yet have, so we wait for it. We long to see the end of death, that be nice? The end of disease. The end of people killing people. But we don't yet have it. So we wait. We wait for the coming of Jesus, who has overcome death, to put death to death. We're actually in between Advents. We wait for Jesus to come again, whatever that looks like. You can read a million books, a million different perspectives on exactly what that coming of Jesus again is going to look like. And I'm going to kind of get heady on you for a second. I'm sorry, please forgive me, but some of you would like it, so you can join with me in the suffering. (laughs) Before Jesus came the first time, People were in waiting, hoping for his arrival. They had a hope, spoken about by the prophets, of someone anointed by God to deliver them from bondage. This were the Israelites. They were in bondage and they were anxiously anticipating that somebody would come and free them from their oppressors, from their enemies. This hope started sometime not long after this 
experience of bondage began about 722 BC. Does anybody know approximately when Jesus was born? Three-ish? Three-ish? Yeah, A.D.? C.D.E.? Yeah? Somebody do the math. 722 B.C., you're counting down to zero, and then you count back up to three, so 722 plus three. Noah? (laughs) 725 years. That's a lot of waiting, right? My goodness, I just wait like a half an hour for dinner, and I'm unhappy. Suffering here. I'm hungry. Chris has heard me whine about it. That's a long time of waiting. That was the the northern kingdom of Israel. These same people, they were once in bondage in Egypt. They now found themselves in bondage again. This time, however, it was was not at the hands of another oppressor to begin with. It was... It was because of their own sin and their own injustice, God's chosen people who had been chosen to be light to the world had become anything but light to the world. Instead of bringing honor to God's name, they brought shame. But not all was lost, even though they were not a people anymore. The southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed in 586 B.C., Hundreds of years waiting and longing, listening to the prophets speak of a day that God would relent, that they would be able to be a people again, that they wouldn't be under bondage of some other empire, but they could just serve God alone. They found themselves as refugees wandering about, at times even having God calling them to stay right where they were and to seek the peace of the country and the city that they were in. Not all was lost because because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And in Him is forgiveness. The prophets regularly spoke of this day. The day of the Lord. The day that God would send His Messiah who would rescue them from their enemies and free them from that bondage, forgiving them of their sin that landed them in that bondage in the first place. And again, that would come through this Messiah an anointed one, somebody who was anointed to carry out that very task, to go straight into whatever land that they were in and free them and liberate them. 722 years for some of these families, generation after generation after generation, carrying on that hope. My goodness, that is incredible to me. Let's be realistic about this, though. Some gave up. Yeah. God just abandoned us. He's not with us. He's not for us. He doesn't care about us. He's just left us to just wander about forever in exile. But others didn't give up. Some held out hope. And people probably called them nuts. <laughs> Crazy. Who? What? <laughs> so of those who did not give up, we still have a problem. We have a, we have a problem because they didn't really know what they were hoping for. I mean, they were hoping for a, a Messiah that would come and free them, but they were confused, I think. They, they actually then, when Jesus, the one true Messiah, came, they didn't recognize him. Most people failed to recognize Jesus as the one they were waiting for. 
because their expectations were off. Who they were waiting for, in many cases, was very misunderstood. The Gospel of John puts it this way in John 1.11, He came to his very own, but his very own did not recognize him. I'm always reminded right here of the great movie, The Great Outdoors. You guys know that one, right? Not all age appropriate, so don't watch it with your kids if they're my kids' ages. Oh, wait a second. Too late. (laughs) So Dan Aykroyd, Roman Craig in the movie, he has this great line, you wouldn't know a good time if it plopped on your face and started, plopped down on your face and started to wiggle. It seemed, (laughs) right? I know. I think that then in this situation, many of the people in Jesus' day wouldn't know the Messiah if it plopped down on their face and started to wiggle. They wouldn't. I wouldn't, though. It's really important. Hi, buddy. I'm terrified of what he's going to say right now. They had a hope. They had a hope of a Messiah that would come to liberate them. But they were waiting for a Messiah who would come and conquer all of Israel's enemies. That he would take his sword out and start chopping people down. Violence and exclusivity were the major problems. Well, violence with their swords, exclusivity because it was going to be the people of Israel who God was going to redeem and save, but the rest of the world... Sorry, too bad. God loves us. He doesn't love you. God is for us. He's not for you. They missed out on some pretty important teaching along the way. I could understand that. Has anybody been really mad at somebody else wanting God to bless you and not them? (laughs) Oh, Lord, they're such a bad, bad, bad person, and I'm not nearly as bad as they are. Bless me. Be with me. Deliver me. I am the chosen person of God. (laughs) It's easy to go down that road. Well, he probably does for a time anyway. Comes back gently. (laughs) So, how do we know this? How do we know that this were their expectations? Well, we know it on one hand because... People didn't get Jesus. They didn't understand Jesus. John the Baptist didn't even understand Jesus. Everybody was confused about this guy showing up. Who are you? Are you the one John the Baptist says, or should we expect somebody after you? Because are you going to get with it is what he's saying. Are you going to whip out the sword and start killing people, or what are you going to do here? Because you're not doing anything that I think the Messiah should do. They had a hope, but they were totally confused about what that hope was going to look like. We know this also because their rabbis wrote about it. And their historians talked about it. They talked about what they did while they were waiting. Because their hope, again, was informing their waiting. So they took up the sword themselves. They tried to conquer the Roman Empire. They tried to conquer the Assyrian Empire. They tried to conquer the Babylonian Empire. They tried to conquer anybody that they thought was holding them down with like force. Have you ever heard of the Sakarii, dagger men? This was one of the responses to how they saw their hope being lived out, how they saw God delivering them from the hands of their enemy. 
they would be the equivalent of a contemporary suicide bomber. Sakaria was a type of sword, a small one. You would keep it in your cloak or in your jacket or in this case, my nice zip-up sweater. You keep it tucked down inside your coat. And then you'd find yourself into a room or a building or an atrium filled with people of which there were some highly powerful dignitaries or leaders of sorts that you didn't agree with, maybe from the Roman Empire or traitors from your own country, and you would slowly sneak in amongst them and you'd be like, hey, what's going on? And then you whip out your dagger and you would kill the person. Because this is what they thought their hope was going to ultimately bring, and so they're going to participate with that kind of hope. God is going to show up. He's going to send a Messiah. He's going to kill everybody, so I'm going to help God out. Violence and exclusivity. The content of our hope informs our waiting. So when Jesus came, it's not a surprise they didn't recognize him. He came and healed people. He came and loved people. He came and even healed Roman people's Servants and kids. Wait, what are you doing, Jesus? Are you kidding me? They are the enemy. Don't you get that? They're the bad guys. That's a centurion soldier. You're going to heal somebody that's in his household? Are you kidding me? That's insane. They're the enemy. Right? It's not surprising that Jesus shows up and he lays down his life, ultimately suffering at the hands of the enemy that they expected the Messiah to defeat. When you're expecting a killer of killers and what you get is a crucified, killed, and buried Messiah, things are understandably confusing. If your hope rests on that God is going to kill your enemies and some guy shows up and he says, no, 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 no. Love your enemies. That's confusing. I can sympathize with that. But here's the deal. The Messiah, the anointed one to save, to deliver, he did come to defeat Israel's enemies. But those enemies, as it turns out, were not flesh and blood. They were mistaking who their enemies were. They were not other evil people. They were not the Assyrians. They weren't the Babylonians. They weren't the Romans. They were, however you want to understand this, there's some parameters to it, but they were the powers and principalities of this world. One of those powers is death. And think about this for a second. Death cannot be put to death by killing killers. Can it? Death can't be put to death by killing killers. This is a bit of a paradox that once embraced as a paradox, which is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be full, fully well-founded and true. When... When we embrace this paradox of Jesus dying in order to defeat that enemy death, 
when we consider it deeply, it sets us free. And it changes the way you see God, it changes the way you see yourself, and it changes the way you see the world around you. I'm kind of going down this same road, but go with me here for a second. I don't want to repeat myself, but maybe some of you aren't quite up to speed with this idea. Just think about this. Can you stop, can you stop killing by killing? It doesn't make any sense. Has that ever worked? Like even if we want to try and look at a time in history where it seems like killing has stopped killing, has it lasted? Has it really worked? The only way to stop killing is to stop killing. This is hard stuff, right? But this is the stuff that we have to come to when we come to Jesus. This is the stuff we have to think about. If you you come to see that death is the enemy, and it's what everyone is trying to avoid by killing others anyway, ever think about that? Why do we kill? Because we don't want to die. When we see death itself as the enemy, then we have to take a different approach. Israel wanted freedom from bondage and the fear of death through one anointed to kill their killers. And they lived a life in keeping with that hope. But Jesus shows us this other way. It's really, I don't think, hard to understand if we want to stop and really try and understand it. If you try to kill killing by killing killers, then killing is alive and well in you, in me. In that logic, somebody has to kill you. Sooner or later, one generation or another, somebody will. That's not God's way to redeem creation. That's not what he sent the Messiah to do. He sent the Messiah to overcome death itself so that we don't have to kill our killers. We can be killed by our killers and still have hope that God it goes beyond the grave. It's the point of Jesus' resurrection, right? Somehow we've got to square our lives with Jesus. Somehow we have to square our hope with Jesus. I think this is part of why we see so much confusion in the world around us, and particularly in this country, when it comes to what kind of hope we have as Christians and what that hope should lead us to. Kind of like the guy that's going and buying the Corvette instead of the minivan. We're confused. We don't know what to do. We don't know the hope we have in Jesus. We don't know how big it is. We don't hope big enough. I see Christians waiting, hoping in all sorts of -of out-of-shape ways today. I had a crazy conversation, and I sure don't want to offend it. No, I do want to offend it. I do want to offend you. I'm sorry. I don't. If this offends you, that's just too bad. But let's talk. <laughs> so don't run away if I'm offending you. I had this crazy conversation with somebody that uh, said to me this week, <clears throat> well, you know what? You and I are probably quite a bit alike. You're a pastor of this church, right? And I said, yeah, I am the pastor of this church. And he goes, well, you know what? We probably have some pretty similar worldviews. And I said, oh, okay. Um, so in other words, he was trying to tell me from a position where he couldn't that he was a Christian. And so he said, you know what, what, you know, I'm what, you know, have you, he said, you know, have you ever heard of a prepper? And I, I was like, oh no. 
I was like, yeah, I've heard of preppers before. And he's like, well, I've got massive stores of food and a lot of guns. Not that many guns, but quite a few guns. Because sooner or later, if I have a lot of food, somebody's going to show up when the day comes that I'm hoping for. And they're going to try and take my food, so I'm going to kill them. Does that square with the hope that we have in Jesus? Does that square in any way, shape, and form with what Jesus did? And the cross that he calls us to carry and to bear. I don't get it. I think it's a misguided hope. They're hoping in the wrong thing. I think, <laughs> I think if the Messiah came back, if Jesus comes back, when he comes back, they aren't going to notice him. They're not going to recognize him. They're going to say, who is this guy? I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand this man. There's all sorts of ways that people's hopes are bent out of shape, even though they're calling themselves Christians. I see people that are escapists removing themselves, waiting by just going away, waiting to be taken away. What kind of waiting does God want for us? He wants, we talked about this before, cruciform. He wants us, he wants us to wait in a cruciform way, in a way that deals with the cross in a way that hope's so big that we can die and we're okay with it. Because we know God has swallowed up death in Jesus. This is starting to sound like an Easter sermon now. <laughs> we need to wait in a way where we care about the needs of those around us. It's one of the few times Jesus talks about waiting when he's away, he's pleased with those that he comes back to find that are caring for the needs of the poor, the widow, stranger, the orphan, people that are offering food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, hope to the hopeless. That's what he wants to see us doing. He... He might be all right with us stockpiling food so long as our plan is to feed people that are hungry with it. He wants us to wait in a way that we love others and do unto them as we want to have done unto us. He wants us to wait in a way that sacrifices ourselves for the common good. He wants, us to, he wants us to wait in a way that overcomes evil with good. He wants us to wait in a way that loves even our enemies, even unto death. When we understand the hope that we have in Jesus, we learn to wait wisely. In this way, we will see the kingdom come on earth as it is in the heavens. Don't get me wrong, though, because we don't make it come. That's God's doing. We just are blessed with the opportunity to live in hope and participate with what God is doing. And I'll tell you, it's sweet when you see it, isn't it? It's sweet when you get to see people hungry but fed now. When you get to see children that don't have clothes to wear 
find clothes to wear and not have to shame anybody, but offer it freely without scorn or like, okay, so what's going on with you? Your kids don't have any clothes to wear, but instead, come on, man, we got plenty. You can have some. It's beautiful. Of course, this takes risk. (laughs) A crazy hope, a crazy hope like that, that takes risk. Does anybody like risk? <laughs> Can't, yeah. You learn to like risk. Because risk gives room for God to show up. Right? Like if you're only doing in your life what you think you can accomplish without any risk, you're missing out on probably everything God wants for you. <laughs> well, maybe not everything. A lot of it, that's for sure. It takes trust. It takes faith. It's crazy, like, there's an awful lot of risk in loving your enemy, right? There's an awful lot of risk in loving somebody that doesn't understand love and might just want to kill you. Hmm. There's an awful lot of risk in a Messiah who shows up to offer himself that we might know of his Father's great love for us. A love of which we would have no understanding had it not been for what Jesus has done. When we, when we learn to risk like that, our world is rocked. Our world is changed. Our world is filled with hope so big that it's beyond this world. So, this Advent season, I just invite you to reflect on the violence and the evil in the world. Reflect on it and recognize that the hope we have in Jesus deals with it. It confronts it. And Jesus instructs us concerning how to live in it. So will you be so bold as to embrace his way of defeating death? And will you risk to hope in him enough to live his way? today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just a people of little faith, and we're broken, we're messed up in a lot of ways. Thank you that you invite us to come before you just as we are with our misunderstandings and with our fears. Thank you that we can discover your grace, that we can discover your love, that you straighten us out. You put a new spirit in us, one not of fear, but of boldness, one that recognizes that the way you call us to conquer is with love. Help us to remember, Jesus, that you're our Lord. You're so much more than just somebody who died for our sins so we don't have to suffer, but rather you're the one that has shown us the way. You have shown us the way to overcome the world. You've shown us the way to bring glory to your Father. So, Father, we just come before you and and, and, and just desperate need, need to to help align 
how we wait and the hope that we have in you. Open our eyes, instruct us, teach us, walk with us, encourage us, build that bold faith in us, Lord Jesus, that's truly willing to, to, to endure whatever comes our way for the sake of imitating you, Jesus. We praise you for the goodness that we find in you. We praise you for the peace that we find in, in your way, Lord God. Bind us together, make us strong, and encourage us. We need you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, and thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you. Amen.